there is always a story attached to a letter. And letters are um, uh, not much, you know, not much written these days. You know, we, we like to message much more, and obviously that's much shorter. This letter that we're going to look at, which is uh, over the next few weeks, is a letter that a man called St. Paul wrote, and he wrote it a couple of thousand years ago from prison in Rome. And uh, it has a story attached to it. And, and it's a pretty um, dramatic story, and it's written at a pretty dramatic time. And for Paul, it's a short letter. For us, it would be quite a long letter, but for him, it's pretty short. And, uh, but it has some amazing things in it. And it is Paul's very last letter. As far as we can tell, it's the last one that he wrote. And he knows that, well, he's pretty sure that he is about to be executed under the uh, probably Emperor Nero, who was brutal, absolutely viciously brutal towards Christians, uh, famously brutal. And um, so he's, he's in a very difficult situation. It's a short letter. It's an urgent letter. It's an emotional letter. Paul is suffering and death is near. And he's probably dictating it because he's in chains. And also it seems as though at this point in his life he has some failing eyesight and maybe he doesn't have any uh, pound shop glasses. So, uh, and this is his second captivity in Rome. He's been in prison before. The time before was easier, uh, relatively speaking, uh, because he could stay in his own lodgings. He was, he was probably chained to someone then as well, but he was in his own lodgings. He could receive friends, which was very important to him. Uh, but now, in this second stay in prison, he is being treated as a criminal, as it says in verse Two, uh, in chapter 2. Um, he's a criminal, an enemy of the emperor and the empire, and so he is on the receiving end of much harsher treatment, and it is extremely unsafe to be where he is at that point. And that's because, in particular, the Christian movement was growing and had come to the notice of the authorities, particularly Nero, Emperor Nero. And even visiting someone like Paul at that point, uh, visiting him in prison, could lead to a visitor's own imprisonment and possibly even execution. So you can imagine that few of Paul's friends had actually been visiting. And he, he also talks about, later in the letter, that someone called Demas has deserted him and some other people have gone off on other ministry trips, including Titus. He says, Luke... Uh, is with him, and uh, someone called Onesiphorus has visited him. Um, he specifically says of Onesiphorus that he's not ashamed of my chains, which is quite something. This is a, a massively courageous act on the part of this man. But that this man had also been a great relief to him because he was really suffering from not seeing people. And he'd had one hearing in court, and he says at that first hearing... No one stood by me. No one was with me. The Lord Jesus was with me, but no human being standing next to me was with me. And he knows that he's got another appearance in court. The trial has been postponed, but he's about to go back, and he expects to be executed. So I want to kind of set a little bit of a scene, because we're obviously going to look at this letter, and I encourage you to read it over the next few weeks. Um, It doesn't take very long to read, but it, it takes quite a long time to mull over it and let it sink into our hearts and souls. And the story goes on that, um, that Paul longs to see Timothy again. He's writing to this 
younger man. He calls him his dear son. He's not his biological son, but he's his dear son in the Lord, his dear son in ministry and in friendship and um, extending the kingdom of God together, if you like. And he wants Timothy to come before it's too late, i.e. before he dies. And he wants to be refreshed by that friendship again that they've had for a while. And they've done a lot of uh, God stuff together, a lot of ministry stuff together. And more practically, he wants Timothy to come before winter because winter in the prison will be brutal if he lasts that long. And so he makes a request later in the letter for a cloak which he's left somewhere else a long way away. And he asks Timothy to undertake a long journey from where he is in Ephesus to pick up a cloak um, on the way to Rome, as it were, and uh, so that Paul can be warmer in the winter and bring a few books and parchments and that kind of thing so he has something to do and something to read. But severe cold is coming, and he wants to be okay. So he says, do your best to come to me quickly before winter comes and before it's too late. And we know that... Uh, through history that Paul is beheaded soon after this letter is completed. So we don't know if Timothy made it. And then Emperor Nero probably killed himself not long after that as well. So these two, the older man and the younger man, have a really strong shared history. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very wonderful friendship. Timothy, his dear son, grew up in this place called Lystra in Galatia. And Paul meets him as a young man, or maybe a, even a teenager or a child. That's the first time Paul goes through. And um, it's a really dramatic episode as Paul comes through, because a couple of things happen. One is really extraordinarily good, and one is very, very difficult and bad. And Paul is going around with his friend Barnabas, and they reach this town where Timothy lives, where he's growing up with his mum and dad. And... Uh, Paul and Barnabas heal this man who's been crippled from birth. So he, this man would have been well known. And uh, he's able to walk again. And the people there are so stunned by this extraordinary miracle that they, they look at Paul and Barnabas and they think, you must be God. You, in fact, you must be Zeus and you must be Hermes. And we're going to bow down and worship you and, and bring offerings to you. And um, Paul and Barnabas are really uh, disturbed by this, and they run out into the crowd, and they kind of rip their clothes and say, look, we are flesh and blood just like you, um, and proceed to tell them about Jesus. And so that happens, and that's on the one hand extraordinarily good. And at the same time, some people come from other towns and cities, uh, a couple of places in particular, and they have got it in for Paul because Paul has been to those places before and caused trouble as far as, they, as they're concerned. So they come and stir, stir things up, and in fact people pick up stones and start to stone Paul, and they stone him so badly they leave him for dead. But uh, he, uh, is not com he's not killed, but uh, the, the brothers and sisters that he has in, in uh, Lystra, they gather around, and they pray for him, and he's able to get up and get going again. So that's his first visit. And you can imagine the impact this might have on a, on a young Timothy. Uh, the, the, these very dramatic things. This extraordinary man coming to talk about Jesus. And when Paul does a circuit, and he, he, does, he comes back round to Lystra again, some years later, people are talking about this young man, Timothy, 
with great favor. They think he's an amazing young man. He's become a Christian. His mother's become a Christian. His grandmother's become a Christian. And, uh, and uh, they talk really well of him, it says elsewhere in the scriptures. And um, so Paul thinks, well, I want to take this young man with me because uh, he can be my associate as we go around and tell people about Jesus. He can learn to heal the sick and cast out demons, he, uh, and, and we can do this traveling together. And uh, Timothy's really happy to do so. There is one thing, though, that because Timothy's mom is, a, is Jewish and his father is a Greek, uh, he is of mixed lineage, and Paul knew he was going to spend a lot of time with Jewish people. So Paul has to uh, have Timothy circumcised in order that he would be welcome within the Jewish community. Uh, so that is obviously a massive level of commitment uh, to, uh, <laughs> uh, to the whole project. Um, but they go off together, and um, they develop an extraordinarily powerful co-working relationship. And um, it's a really strong friendship. And Paul entrusts him, because he sees the favor of God upon him, with loads of different assignments. So he goes to Thessalonica. He sent, Paul sends him to Thessalonica and Corinth and Philippi. And at this point, he's gone to Ephesus, which if, you, if you've ever visited Ephesus in Turkey, it is the most extraordinary place. It's a complete whirlwind of a city. And so this young man going there to um, uh, help the church see off teachers who are teaching false things and help the church to grow was an enormous job. But the Holy Spirit was with him. And also Timothy got to collaborate with Paul on, uh, I think, at least six of his letters. So they wrote them together. Paul is obviously the senior partner in the writing, but, it, but a lot of the letters are from Paul and Timothy. And so, so now he's in Ephesus, and Paul is writing to him from Rome, from prison, from this very dire situation. And I get, Paul is older. Timothy is probably early 30s. He has some recurring illnesses, which cause him uh, to have his energy sapped. He ha Timothy also has a reputation for a certain timidity uh, or a certain retiring nature. And so Paul is continually encouraging him to be on the front foot rather than on the back foot. And that's what you see in this letter. So you can see in this letter as you read it and as you make your way through it, a number of these things. You see the dire circumstances that Paul is in. You see the difficult circumstances that Timothy's in. You see the strong affection that they have for each other based on uh, shared work together and uh, doing the things that God's called them to do. And also you see absolutely unashamed confidence in Jesus Christ, particularly from Paul as he writes. And that's a, that's a really important thing for us to learn, particularly when we live in difficult and turbulent times and stuff is difficult. So as you start reading, you'll pick up this flavor immediately. So from verse 1, if you've got it in front of you, do look up to Timothy. It's towards the end of the scriptures, just before the, the letter to the Hebrews. And you can see, from these dire circumstances, Paul immediately expressed confidence. He says he's an apostle in Christ Jesus. He's an apostle according to the promise of life. Uh, that is in Christ. He expresses his great love for Timothy. 
He wants Timothy to know grace and mercy and peace. And he says, look, even in these situations, these difficult situations that I'm in right now, I pray for you regularly and I long to see you. So right from the off, you get, you get the experience of strength coming from Paul to Timothy. He's imparting strength to him. And he wants him to receive it, uh, however many weeks it takes for the letter to get to him uh, later. So where does Paul's strength in adversity come from? For himself, and also, where, uh, where is he going to encourage timid Timothy, if you like, to look for it in the situation that he's in? And I want to very briefly give you three areas which, which Paul draws on. And I think as we look at this, these are things that we can draw on too in order to grow stronger in the Lord and so that we are people who are confident absolutely regardless of the circumstances. And Paul is showing us this in extremis. He's modeling it to us in, in, a, in the most extreme place. And, but the things that he's learned in his life are the things that we can also learn and will stand us in good stead when we're in difficulty. And frankly, um, when you read the scriptures, you find, you find most people are in trouble most of the time. And um, so scriptures are written to people uh, expecting us to be in trouble. So if you're in trouble, that's pretty normal in the scriptures. And, uh, and so you can receive all kinds of strength from it as you read. And that's what we're trying to do right now. So the first thing that brings Paul massive strength is his sense of calling, his, his, his absolute rock-solid sense that he is called by God into a particular role and he's being given things to do right up to the point where he uh, goes to his death. So he, he's called to be an apostle, he says, someone who is sent by God. And he knows that his identity is given by God. He hasn't chosen that for himself, but, it, but he's been given it. And that's an identity that's often, and a calling that's often been contested by loads and loads of people throughout uh, Paul's lifetime as a Christian. He also says a little bit later that he's been appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. And he says, that's why I suffer as I do, because I open my mouth and I talk about these things about Jesus. It gets me into all kinds of trouble, and it's got me into trouble again. And it's a calling that would take him to his execution. And you can see that Paul, right from the off, derives huge strength from the sense that he knows that he has been called by God to be with Jesus, to follow him, and to be an apostle. And if you're, if you're unsure what calling is, it's literally this. This is, how, this is how Jesus called me. John, that's a calling. God calls us by name, and, and, he, and he draws us to himself by calling us, by drawing us, almost by shouting our names. And then he says, I want you to be with me, I want you to do the things that I do, and I want you to do the things that I say. And as you do those things, then you'll become more like me. And that's what it means to be a disciple. So God calls you, and he calls me, and he calls us by name. And he gives us things to do which further his purposes in the world. And it's an incredible privilege to be involved with them. And so he says to Timothy, a little bit later in this letter, he wants him to really understand this thing for himself. He says later, I charge you in the presence of God 
Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Do the work of an evangelist. That's the stuff that Timothy's been given. That's what he's been there to do. And Paul is just bolstering him, reminding him him of the thing that he was told right at the beginning. And it's being reissued to him again and and, uh, reaffirmed that that is who he is and that's what he's called to do. And we need that. We need that kind of strength in our lives as individuals. Uh, And in a mo, we'll be able to pray around those things if you're unsure about that. We're called to be disciples. God has given you gifts of the Holy Spirit to operate as a disciple. He's given you tasks to step into. So do you know what God is calling you to do in this turbulent world? And do you know the part that you play in your church community? This church, if if this is your community, or wherever you are. Do you know those roles? That's a really important question. Because as you, can, as you start to answer that, you will grow in strength and grow in confidence. The second thing, as well as calling, what really gives Paul strength is relationship with other believers. So he's talked about, obviously, about Timothy, about Luke, about this man Onesiphorus, and uh, how brave he was to come and visit him. And at the same time, he is also disappointed in some other people who have deserted him and left him, who didn't stand with him during the trial, and other people who have opposed him, which you'll hear about later in the letter. So my question really is this. As we return from COVID and as we come together as a community again, are you making friends with brothers and sisters, people who are followers of Jesus? Are you co-working with them to extend the gospel, to extend the kingdom and to let people know about Jesus? Because that is the most wonderful thing. The, the, the relationship that Paul and Timothy had was not just friendship, but it was co-working. It was working together to do the things that God had given them to do. And so the context for that is to do that within... within uh, your local church. That is, that is the basic context. And if you're part of this church, then I really encourage you to do that here, to do things with others in the networks that we have. Because in my personal experience, I have found myself really bound in friendship to people where we have done things together, particularly when things get tough and you have to trust God together and you have to call on the Lord together for breakthrough or for things to happen. And uh, they are the most powerful and sacrificial relationships that I've known. So I really encourage you to step into that. And I know that um, uh, people are renegotiating their life with church post-COVID and working out, do I really want to commit myself to being part of a human community centered around Jesus? And I just want to encourage you, yes, you will really find strength in your faith through that. The last thing, as well, after calling in relationship, I just want to say, um, I, I want to talk about roots, because Paul highlights their common roots in the faith. Uh, their, roots are, their roots are the same and different. I hadn't really noticed this before, but if you look in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says this, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. So Paul is referring to his roots, his Jewish roots, uh, where he he grew up worshipping the Lord, 
And then he found Jesus, uh, who is the Messiah. And, uh, and he says, my ancestors uh, served the Lord, and I too serve the Lord. I'm part of a longer and wider, uh, wider story than just my, my conversion on the road to Damascus and so on. There's an interesting thing that he says there. And then in verse 5, he talks about Timothy's roots, where he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So Timothy also had roots. His mother was Jewish, grew up Jewish, became a Christian, and, uh, and accepted Jesus the Messiah. And then, uh, and as, and as, was his grand, as was his grandmother Lois, and so he, was, he grew up, if you like, certainly as a, as a teenager onwards, uh, in a Christian maternal line, people who taught him the faith. And it says later in the letter that Timothy should guard the good deposit entrusted to him by this maternal line. And from his childhood, that he's been acquainted with the sacred writings and that would be the sacred writings taught to him by his Jewish mother. So that's his roots, if you like. But it's all part of the, it's all part of the same roots. And when we become Christians, whether you can't become a Christian from an atheist background, or whether you're raised by your mum and dad, or your mum and your dad are Christians, and they raise you in a Christian household, we're all invited into the same story, which is the story that you find in the whole of the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation. We are all part of that story, and we're grafted into it. God is your father. Abraham is your ancestor in faith. Jesus is your Lord and Savior and your brother in heaven. The saints are a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before you. The scriptures are the record of God's relationships with your ancestors. And the Holy Spirit is your friend who makes all this history real and known to you. You are rooted as soon as you come to Christ, you become part of that story. And then that's, that story is the one that starts to define you. And so, in different ways, Paul and Timothy have different but the same roots. And it's crucial that we also, we come from different backgrounds, we come into faith in different ways, but we all find ourselves in the same story. And Paul derives immense strength from that. And he says to Timothy, you should too. You should too. You are rooted uh, it, way, 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 way back in history. And God has been dealing with his people all the way through. And you are the current expression of it. And, uh, and that you can be confident that he will lead you and empower you in the ways that he's done that for your ancestors in the past. So, calling, relationship, and roots bring phenomenal strength. You shouldn't underestimate that because Paul leans on them massively in the most extreme moment of his life. And uh, when you have extreme moments, you want to be able to fall back on these things. Uh, you want to be you want it to be you you want to be properly standing on firm ground. You really do, and uh, and Paul shows us how. So I think it'd be good to pray together around this. So um, perhaps we could stand. Could we stand?
so we'll pray in just a second. I just, it, I just want to say, wherever you are in your Christian faith, whatever point you're at, whether you're just starting out or you've been with God for a long time, um, those th- calling and relationships and roots are, are things that you can access at any point. So the moment you become a Christian, Jesus, you know, you're responding to his call. You start to get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, And you are included in the story of God and the story of God and his people immediately. And that's true for all of us. So I just don't want people to disapply themselves because you feel, you feel, you don't feel very strong and you don't feel you know very much about Christian faith or something like that. You're included right away because it's all gift from God. And then if you've been known Christ for a while, but you've drifted away, all this stuff just keeps getting reissued to us. That's, you know, that's how God loves to do it. He keeps calling us back in, calling us back in, and saying, follow me, you know, love one another, and uh, live out the story that you've been placed in. So it's just a call for everyone. So should we pray? just want to encourage you. Maybe to make a, a sort of physical response to God, a physical posture to God. Standing is good. Maybe putting your hands out in front of you saying, I'm here, Lord. And we'll just take a few moments to ponder whether God, through his Holy Spirit, is saying something to you personally.